0: Now, King Solomon's Minds, Chapter 18, We Abandon Hope. I can give no adequate description of the horrors of the night which followed. Mercifully they were to some extent mitigated by sleep, for even in such a position as ours, wearied nature will sometimes assert itself. But I, at any rate, found it impossible to sleep much. "'putting aside the terrifying thought "'of our impending doom, "'for the bravest man on earth "'might well quail from such a fate "'as awaited us, "'and I never had any great pretensions "'to be brave. "'The silence itself was too great "'to allow of it. "'Reader, you may have lain awake at night "'and thought the silence oppressive, "'but I say with confidence "'that you can have no idea "'what a vivid, tangible thing "'perfect silence really is. "'On the surface of the earth There is always some sound or motion, and though it may in itself be imperceptible, yet does it deaden the sharp edge of absolute silence. But here there was none. We were buried in the bowels of a huge snow-clad peak. Thousands of feet above us, the fresh air rushed over the white snow. But no sound of it reached us. We were separated by a long tunnel and five feet of rock even from the awful chamber of the dead. And the dead make no noise. The crashing of all the artillery of earth and heaven could not have come to our ears in our living tomb. We were cut off from all echoes of the world. We were as already dead. And then the irony of the situation forced itself upon me. There around us lay treasures enough to pay off a moderate national debt or to build a fleet of ironclads, and yet we would gladly have bartered them all for the faintest chance of escape. "'Soon, doubtless, we should be glad to exchange them "'for a bit of food or a cup of water, "'and after that, even for the privilege "'of a speedy close to our sufferings. "'Truly wealth, which men spend all their lives in acquiring, "'is a valueless thing at the last.' "'And so the night wore on. "'Good,' said Henry's voice at last, "'and it sounded awful in the intense stillness. "'How many matches do you have in the box?' Eight, Curtis. Strike one, and let us see the time.' He did so, and in contrast to the dense darkness, the flame nearly blinded us. It was five o'clock by my watch. The beautiful dawn was now blushing on the snow wreaths far over our heads, and the breeze would be stirring the night mists in the hollows. "'We'd better eat something and keep up our strength,' said I. "'What is the good of eating?' "'answered Good. "'The sooner we die, and get it over, the better. "'While there is life, there is hope,' said Sir Henry. "'Accordingly, we ate and sipped some water, "'and another period of time passed, "'when somebody suggested that it might be as well "'to get as near to the door as possible, "'and hello, on a faint chance of somebody "'catching a sound outside. "'Accordingly, Good, who from long practice at sea "'has a fine piercing note,' "'roped his way down the passage and began. "'And I must say he made a most diabolical noise. "'I never heard such yells, "'but it might have been a mosquito buzzing "'for all the effect it produced. "'After a while he gave it up "'and came back very thirsty "'and had to have some water. "'After that we gave up yelling "'as it encroached on the supply of water. "'So we all sat down once more "'against our chests of useless diamonds "'in that dreadful inaction.' which was one of the hardest circumstances of our fate, I am bound to say that for my part I gave way in despair. Laying my head against Sir Henry's broad shoulder, I burst into tears, and I think I heard good gulping away on the other side, and swearing hoarsely at himself for doing so. Ah, how good and brave that great man was! Had we been two frightened children, and he our nurse, he could not have treated us more tenderly. "'forgetting his own share of miseries, "'he did all he could to soothe our broken nerves, "'telling stories of men who had been "'in somewhat similar circumstances, "'and miraculously escaped, "'and when these failed to cheer us, "'pointing out how, after all, "'was only anticipating an end "'that must come to us all, "'that it would soon be over, "'and that death from exhaustion "'was a merciful one, "'which is not true. "'Then, in a different sort of way, "'as I had once before heard him do, He suggested that we throw ourselves on the mercy of a higher power, which for my part I did, with great vigor. His is a beautiful character, very quiet, but very strong. And so somehow the day went as the night had gone, if indeed one can use the terms where all was densest night. And when I lit a match to see the time, it was seven o'clock. Once more we ate and drank, and as we did so, an idea occurred to me. How is it, said I, that the air in this place keeps fresh? It is thick and heavy, but it's perfectly fresh. Great heavens, said Good, starting up. I never thought of that. It can't come through the stone door, for it's airtight, if ever a door was. It must come from somewhere. If there were no current of air in the place, we should have been stifled when we first came in. Let us have a look." "'It was wonderful what a change this mere spark of hope wrought in us. "'In a moment we were all three groping about the place on our hands and knees, "'feeling for the slightest indication of a draft. "'Presently my ardour received a check. "'I put my hand on something cold, but it was poor Fulata's dead face. "'For an hour or more we went on feeling about, "'till at last Sir Henry and I gave up in despair.' having got considerably hurt by constantly knocking our heads against tusks, chests, and the sides of the chamber. But Good still persevered, saying, with an approach to cheerfulness, that it was better than doing nothing. "'I say, you fellows,' he said, presently in a constrained sort of voice, "'come here.' Needless to say, we scrambled over towards him quick enough. "Quatermain, put your hand here where mine is.' "'Now do you feel anything?' "'I think I feel air coming up. "'Now listen.' "'He rose and stamped upon the place, "'and a flame of hope shot up in our hearts. "'It rang hollow. "'With trembling hands I lit a match. "'I had only three left, "'and we saw that we were in an angle "'of the far corner of the chamber, "'a fact that accounted for our not having noticed "'the hollow ring of the place "'during our former exhaustive examination.' As the match burnt, we scrutinized the spot. There was a join in the solid rock floor, and, great heavens, there, let in level with the rock, was a stone ring. We said no word. We were too excited, and our hearts beat too wildly with hope to allow us to speak. Good had a knife at the back of which was one of those hooks that are made to extract stones from horses' hooves. "'He opened it and scratched away at the ring with it. "'Finally he got it under "'and levered away gently for fear of breaking the hook. "'The ring began to move. "'Being of stone, it had not yet got set fast "'in all the centuries it had lain there, "'as would have been the case had it been of iron. "'Presently it was upright. "'Then he got his hands into it and tugged with all his force, "'but nothing budged. "'Let me try.' "'I said, impatiently, for the situation of the stone "'right in the angle of the corner "'was such that it was impossible for two to pull at once. "'I got hold and strained away, but with no results. "'Then Sir Henry tried, but failed. "'Taking the hook again, "'Good scratched all around the crack "'where we felt the air coming up. "'Now, Curtis,' he said, "'tackle on, and put your back into it. "'You're as strong as two. Stop, and he took off a stout black silk handkerchief, which, true to his habits of neatness, he still wore, and ran it through the ring. Quartermain, get Curtis round the middle and pull for dear life when I give the word. Now. Now, Sir Henry put out all his enormous strength, and Good and I did the same with such power as nature had given us. Heave, heave! It's giving, gasped Sir Henry. "'and I heard the muscles of his great back cracking. "'Suddenly there came a parting sound, "'then a rush of air, "'and we were all on our backs on the floor "'with a great flagstone on the top of us. "'Sir Henry's strength had done it, "'and never did muscular power stand a man in better stead. "'Light a match, Quartermain,' he said, "'as soon as we had picked ourselves up and got our breath. "'Carefully, though.' "'I did so, and there before us, God be praised!' the first step of a stone stair. Now, what is to be done? asked Good. Follow the stair, of course, and trust to providence. Stop, said Sir Henry. Quartermain, get the bit of biltong and the water that's left. We may need them. I went creeping back to our place by the chest for that purpose, and as I was coming away, an idea struck me. We had not thought much of the diamonds for the last twenty-four hours or so. Indeed, the idea of diamonds was nauseous, seeing what they had entailed upon us. But, thought I, I may as well pocket a few in case we should ever get out of this ghastly hole. So I just stuck my fist into the first chest and filled all the available pockets of my old shooting coat, topping up, topping up, this was a happy thought, with a couple of handfuls of big ones out of the third chest. "'I say, you fellows!' I sang out, Won't you take some diamonds with you? I've filled my pockets. Oh, hang the diamonds, said Sir Henry. I hope that I may never see another. As for good, he made no answer. He was, I think, taking a last farewell of all that was left of the poor girl who loved him so well. And, curious as it may seem to you, my reader, sitting at home at ease and reflecting on the vast, indeed the immeasurable wealth which we were thus abandoning, I can assure you that if you had passed some twenty-eight hours with next to nothing to eat and drink in that place, you would not have cared to cumber yourself with diamonds whilst plunging down into the unknown bowels of the earth in the wild hope of escape from an agonizing death. If it had not, from the habits of a lifetime, become a sort of second nature with me never to leave anything worth having behind, if there was the slightest chance of my being able to carry it away, "'I'm sure I should not have bothered to fill my pockets.' "'Come on, Quartermain,' said Sir Henry, "'who was already standing on the first step of the stone stair. "'Steady now. I will go first. "'Mind where you put your feet. "'There may be some awful hole underneath,' said I. "'Much more likely to be another room,' said Sir Henry, "'as he slowly descended, counting the steps as he went. "'When he got to fifteen he stopped.' HERE'S THE BOTTOM, HE SAID. THANK GOODNESS. I THINK IT'S A PASSAGE. COME ON DOWN. GOOD DESCENDED NEXT, AND I FOLLOWED LAST, AND ON REACHING THE BOTTOM LIT ONE OF THE TWO REMAINING MATCHES. BY ITS LIGHT, WE COULD JUST SEE THAT WE WERE STANDING IN A NARROW TUNNEL, WHICH RAN LEFT AND RIGHT AT RIGHT ANGLES TO THE STAIRCASE WE HAD DESCENDED. BEFORE WE COULD MAKE OUT ANY MORE, THE MATCH BURNT MY FINGERS AND WENT OUT. Then arose the delicate question of which way to turn. Of course, it was impossible to know what the tunnel was or where it ran to. And yet to turn one way might lead us to safety, and the other to destruction. We were utterly perplexed, till suddenly it struck good that when I had lit the match, the draft of the passage blew the flame to the left. Let us go against the draft he said. Air draws inwards, not outwards. We took this suggestion, and feeling along the wall with the hand, whilst trying the ground before us at every step, we departed from that accursed treasure-chamber on our terrible quest. If ever it should be entered again by living man, which I do not think it will be, he will find a token of our presence in the open chests of jewels, the empty lamp, and the white bones of poor Fulata. When we had groped our way for about a quarter of an hour along the passage, it suddenly took a sharp turn, or else was bisected by another, which we followed only in course of time to be led into a third, and so it went on for some hours. We seemed to be in a stone labyrinth which led nowhere. What all these passages are, of course, I cannot say, but we thought that they must be the ancient workings of a mine, of which the various shafts traveled hither and thither as the ore led them. This is the only way in which we could account for such a multitude of passages. At length we halted, thoroughly worn out with fatigue, and with that hope deferred which maketh the heart sick, and ate up our poor remaining piece of biltong, and drank our last cup of water, for our throats were like lime kilns. It seemed to us that we had escaped death in the darkness of the chamber, only to meet him again in the darkness of the tunnels. As we stood, once more utterly depressed, I thought I caught a sound, to which I called the attention of the others. It was very faint and very far off, but it was a sound, a faint, murmuring sound, for the others heard it too, and no words can describe the blessedness of it after all those hours of utter, awful stillness. "'By heaven, it's running water,' said Good. "'Come on!' Off we started again in the direction from which the faint murmur seemed to come, "'groping our way as before along the rocky walls. "'As we went it got more and more audible, "'till at last it seemed quite loud in the quiet. "'On, yet on, now we could distinctly make out "'the unmistakable swirl of rushing water. "'Yet how could there be running water in the bowels of the earth? "'Now we were quite near to it, and Good, who was leading, "'swore that he could smell it. "'Go gently, Good,' said Sir Henry. "'We must be close.' "'Splash!' and a cry from Good. He had fallen in. "'Good! Good! Where are you?' we shouted, in terrified distress. To our intense relief, an answer came back in a choky voice. "'It's all right. I've got hold of a rock. Strike a light to show me where you are.' Hastily I lit the last remaining match. Its faint gleam discovered to us a dark mass of water running at our feet. How wide it was we could not see.' But there, some way out, was the dark form of our companion hanging on to a projecting rock. "'Stand clear to catch me,' sung out good. "'I must swim for it.' Then we heard a splash and a great struggle. Another minute, and he had grabbed at and caught Sir Henry's outstretched hand, and we had pulled him high and dry into the tunnel. "'My word!' he said, between his gasps. "'That was touch and go!' If I hadn't caught that rock and known how to swim, I should have been done. It runs like a mill race, and I could feel no bottom. It was clear that this would not do, so after Good had rested a little and we had drunk our fill from the water of the subterranean river, which was sweet and fresh, and washed our faces, which sadly needed it, as well as we could, we started from the banks of this African Styx and began to retrace our steps along the tunnel, Good dripping unpleasantly in front of us. At length we came to another tunnel leading to our right. "'We may as well take it,' said Sir Henry wearily. "'All roads are alike here. We can only go on till we drop.' Slowly, for a long, long while, we stumbled, utterly weary, along this new tunnel, Sir Henry leading now. Suddenly he stopped, and we bumped up against him. "'Look,' he whispered, "'is my brain going?' "'Where's that light?' "'We stared with all our eyes, "'and there, yes, there, "'far ahead of us, "'was a faint, glimmering spot, "'no larger than a cottage window-pane. "'It was so faint "'that I doubt if any eyes "'except those which, like ours, "'had for days seen nothing but blackness, "'could have perceived it at all. "'With a sort of gasp of hope "'we pushed on. "'In five minutes there was no longer any doubt.' It was a patch of faint light. A minute more, and a breath of real live air was fanning us. On we struggled. All at once the tunnel narrowed. Sir Henry went on his knees. Smaller yet it grew, till it was only the size of a large fox's earth. It was earth now, mind you. The rock had seized. A squeeze, a struggle, and Sir Henry was out, and so was good. Good. And so was I, and there above us were the blessed stars, and in our nostrils was the sweet air. Then suddenly something gave, and we were all rolling over and over and over through the grass and bushes and soft, wet soil. I caught at something and stopped, sitting up I hallowed lustily. An answering shout came from just below, where Sir Henry's wild careen had been stopped by some level ground. I scrambled to him and found him unhurt, though breathless. Then we looked for good. A little way off we found him too, jammed in a forked root. He was a good deal knocked about, but soon came too. We sat down together there on the grass, and the revulsion of feeling was so great that I really think we cried for joy. We had escaped from that awful dungeon that was so near to becoming our grave. "'Surely some merciful power must have guided our footsteps to the jackal hole at the termination of the tunnel, for that is what it must have been. "'And see, there on the mountains, the dawn we had never thought to look upon again, was blushing rosy red. "'Presently the gray light stole down the slopes, and we saw that we were at the bottom, or rather, nearly at the bottom, of the vast pit in front of the entrance to the cave.' Now we could make out the dim forms of the three colossi who sat upon its verge. Doubtless those awful passages along which we had wandered the livelong night had originally been, in some way, connected with the great diamond mine. As for the subterranean river in the bowels of the mountain, heaven only knows what it was, or whence it flows, or whither it goes. I for one have no anxiety to trace its course. Lighter it grew, and lighter yet, we could see each other now, and such a spectacle as we presented I have never set eyes on before or since. Gaunt-cheeked, hollow-eyed wretches, smeared all over with dust and mud, bruised, bleeding, the long fear of imminent death yet written on our countenances, we were indeed a sight to frighten the daylight, and yet it is a solemn fact that Good's Eye glass was still fixed in Good's Eye. I doubt whether he had ever taken it out at all. Neither the darkness, nor the plunge in the subterranean river, nor the roll down the slope had been able to separate Good and his eyeglass. Presently we rose, fearing that our limbs would stiffen if we stopped there longer, and commenced with slow and painful steps to struggle up the sloping sides of the great pit. For an hour or more we toiled steadfastly up the blue clay, dragging ourselves on by the help of the roots and grasses with which it was clothed. At last it was done, and we stood on the great road, on the side of the pit opposite to the Colossi. By the side of the road, a hundred yards off, a fire was burning in front of some huts, and round the fire were figures. We made towards them, supporting one another, and halting every few paces. Presently one of the figures rose, saw us, and fell onto the ground, crying out for fear. Infidus, it is us, thy friends. We rose, he ran to us, staring wildly, and still shaking with fear. Oh, my lords, my lords, it is indeed you come back from the dead, come back from the dead. And the old warrior flung himself down before us, and clasped Sir Henry's knees, and wept aloud for joy.